welcome back to The Dark Side. I'm your host, Brianna. Dyson is here. Hello. And this is Dark Adaptation. First, I just want to say that it was so great having Steph back for last week's episode. Sure was. That was so much fun. I miss that kid, man. <laughs> miss that kid. Yeah, she's great. And so cool, too, when we're, when we're, like, just doing the episode and telling her a story that she's never heard before and how, like, she just, like, picks up on things and will be like, oh, like, this part is interesting or... Um, that's that's fascinating to me that he didn't do this or he went about it this way instead. And I'm like, oh, like you're already picking up on something. I'm mm-hmm. about to tell you he did. So you're seeing something that you thought was confusing, but you're on it. I love that episode. It was really interesting, though, because it took a <clears throat> it took a, t- a few trial and error to get the recording set up and everything. And oh, God. Virtually recording is but, is woof, something else. Damn it. We made it work. Damn it. Yeah. We did that damn thing. Yeah. And then how she said that next time we do an episode, it could be like um, something different. You could look at the chart of like a day. So you could pick some sort of like disaster mm-hmm. or event and um, incorporate the chart of the day instead of a person. Like, I'm going to have to brainstorm a few ideas. Yeah, I like that, though. That's that open up. That opens up so many possibilities, too. I know. Yeah. Like, and it just it just goes to show like it doesn't. Just because it's called like a birth chart, essentially it's just the sky. Mm-hmm. So it can, it can be the chart of of any time, any day, anything, any place. And Steph, I know you're listening. I'll hit you up with a few ideas. We'll get we'll we'll get something really cool for July. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so before we get into this week's episode, I just wanted to say hello, everyone. Um, I bet a few of you are listening. That have been here before. You come, you've come a few times now. And <laughs> the face you just made. You dehydrated kids. <laughs> oh God. Before we get into this week's episode, I just wanted to just kind of say a little reminder um, that people can go and follow us on social media. I mostly wanted to bring this up because. Um, well, first of all, I handle the Instagram account and you handle the Twitter. Oh, yeah. The, the Twitter. The oh, Twitter. Oh, oh, my age is showing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, since I handle the Instagram account, I just wanted to say that I do post more than just the cases we cover. I'll post um, anything else that's in like the true crime realm, any sort of updates or fascinating cases ongoing investigations new um news (laughs) (laughs) so yeah just follow us over there there's this ton of stuff going on sometimes in stories i'll post polls or questions and stuff so just follow us okay yeah and there's also like tons of like cool pictures and stuff from the cases that we talk about and my favorite are the spooky ones because then you get to actually see the like really creepy places that we're talking about so spooky yuki places yeah some haunted bridges some creepy ass forests you Mm -hmm. know our instagram is a wild place yo there's like a ton of different things to check out over there so like um follow us thank you Also, please consider leaving a positive review and giving us five stars if you're enjoying the show. Thank you. 
Yeah, help us grow. Okay, so for this week, we are leaving Canada. We've been here for a few weeks now. And we're going to head across the seas to India. This one, okay, just straight up, this one's rough. This one has a lot of shit going on. It's pretty dark. We will be talking about the murder of children. So just take care when listening. If that's something, you know, that's not for you. I get it. It's pretty dark. Another note. Can't stop, won't stop with the research. (laughs) So this one will be a two-parter. But you won't have to wait a week. Uh, since we did not release an episode in the beginning of June, because we, for a bunch of reasons, honestly, I was tired. You were sick, Dyson. Yeah, I got, I got real sick. Yeah, you, you had the meat sweats. I, I that's an understatement, unfortunately. <laughs> you know when you sweat so much in the middle of the night that you have to flip your comforter. <laughs> so then I just drenched the other side, and I was just like, well taking a taking a bath now so <laughs> oh my god cute a little sickness bath yeah, a little, little bubble bath <laughs> bubble bath yeah. but yeah so we didn't end up releasing an episode because this shit was shit was crazy okay don't hold it against us but that's why i'm saying this one will be a two-parter you don't have to wait for a week though because um we are just gonna drop both parts um not on the same day so make sure you subscribe so that you can listen to part two but you will get two episodes in the same week. Mm-hmm. The last note I want to say is that this case is, well, I did say it was like gruesome and pretty horrible. And no one is going to say that the murder of children is not. But uh, the reporting, uh, it varies. There's, um, like I said, we're in India for this case. And so there's some translation differences um and i did the best i could with the research i did uh my absolute best to sift through what was determined to be rumors or sort of the media embellishing um and i didn't want to perpetuate any sort of like misreporting so mm-hmm. i did my absolute damnedest to deliver something that will be clear and concise so just wanted to say that all right yeah, cutting through that sensationalism. Right. Yeah. Thank you. That was a good way to quickly put it. You're welcome. <laughs> I like to add that on to extend the flow. <laughs> Nitari Village is a quiet suburb in Noida, Uttar Pradesh. Since March 2005, 38 children had gone missing in the village on the same stretch of road. A house sat on this road, located at D5 in Sector 31. It was owned by a rich businessman named Moninder Singh Pendir, who seemed to live a life of luxury, entertaining guests from VIPs to local law enforcement. He had a live-in domestic worker, a manservant named Satish Kohli, who cooked for Meninder, took care of the home when Meninder went away on business, stuff like that. For a while, the residents in the area found them to be fairly pleasant and thought pretty highly of them, but gradually, that opinion changed, and people in the village began to suspect something was very wrong with these men and their house. Mm. By December 2006, residents were frustrated, 
The foul smell coming from the drainage canals around D5 was awful, and residents had been bringing their concerns to local law authorities. Something was wrong with the drains, or the water tower located behind D5, and it needed to be investigated. Authorities were ignoring their requests for help, and the smell was becoming unbearable. Taking matters into their own hands, the residents began sifting through the debris in the canals, looking for the cause of the smell. They made an absolutely horrific discovery, which only confirmed their suspicions that the two men living in D5 knew what was happening to their children and might even be involved. What they discovered around the property had nothing to do with the water tower. It was so much worse. There was no way authorities could continue to ignore what was happening. And finally, an investigation was launched that proved unimaginable acts of violence, murder, and even cannibalism was taking place inside this house of horrors. So while that disturbing scene spirals around in your mind and you're trying to wrap your head around all that information, yeah, let's learn a little bit more about the area in question and this weirdo businessman and his manservant. Oh God, it's <laughs> when you make him a duo, it gets super <laughs> creepy. His manservant. Hey, that's how he's reported. His in- Mervant. Mervant. Mervant alert him. Marvel at him. Literally. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, so let's start with Noida, the, like, city that we're in. So Noida actually is um, a short form for New Okla Industrial Development Authority, and no- Noida for short. Okay. <laughs> it's one of New Delhi's fastest-growing satellites, Uh, carefully planned from its inception as an IT hub. Okay. Um, For those who don't know, New Delhi is India's capital. And satellites are like small cities that sort of like emerge and grow around like big cities like Metropolis. And but they're independent of the Metropolis. But yeah, they just benefit from the resources of the main Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Dyson. I thought also, just to add, I thought when you were explaining all of that, <laughs> my nerdy ass was like, she's about to explain what IT stands for, isn't she? Oh, <laughs> my God. No, Dyson, I'll leave that in your hands. Tell the people, what's IT? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's information technologies. <laughs> I know that much. <laughs> Fucking love you, nerd. Yeah, thanks, but you brought a lot more to the table with your explanation. <laughs> That's what I do. I know. Noida was ranked as the best city in Uttar Pradesh. It has some of the best housing. It's considered India's greenest city with nearly 50% green coverage. I think that literally just means like trees green. and stuff. Yeah. 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 <laughs> It's considered India's greenest city with nearly 50% green cover, which is the highest of any city in India. It's safe. Poverty levers are low. 
poverty <laughs> levels are low. And employment rates are pretty high. Yeah. So it's pretty legit. It's a little satellite. Yeah, it sounds pretty nice, actually. I know, right? Yeah. I want to live in a little satellite. That sounds gorgeous. Live in a green satellite town in I know. India. And it I mean, was it gets like, hot as balls over there, but. I know. I was When I was researching Noida, I was telling you, um, do you remember what I said? How high the temperature gets in summer? Did you, you said like 40 something. 48. 40, I was going to say 47. I didn't want to overshoot it. 48 Celsius. I don't know what that is in is it, Fahrenheit. Uh, hot as uh, oh, fuck. Yeah, it's, it's hot as fuck. Yes. <laughs> and then in the winter, it'll it'll be like three degrees. It's crazy. Oh, that's extra fucked because like India's got like a serious like caste problem, like cat their caste system. So there's like a lot of people that tend to be on the streets and stuff, yeah. homeless and stuff like that. So they have to weather 48 degrees Celsius and three. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Fuck that. So that's Noida. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I had said, Nitari village is a little suburb of Noida. Uh, so uh, let me uh, tell you a little bit about the two d- dudes, you know, the Mervin. <laughs> the Mervin. <laughs> and his business and the business male. The business males. So Meninder Singh Pander was in his 50s in 2006. I don't know when his birthday was. Right. Also, who gives a fuck? And <laughs> he was known as Goldie by those around him. I don't know. Maybe he looked like a fish. Described. He was described as nice, normal, with a good sense of humor by those who just were like acquainted with him or sort of ran in circles with him. But his friends that spent time with him, they talked about him going off the rails after having a few drinks. They claim he was dependent on alcohol. He'd go into dark moods and he had a quote unquote penchant for sex workers. Oh, no. Well, I said sex workers. They straight up were like, yeah, he loves prostitutes. I love the horrors, does he? Horrors. Sorry, that was my <laughs> that was my Danny DeVito in- <laughs> Lazy Danny DeVito impersonation. Don't call them horrors. It was a Danny DeVito Willem Dafoe hybrid lighthouse. It really was. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting a lot more complex with my references. <laughs> now, if you ask me where what movie those references are from, I, c- I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I'll tell you though. Yeah. Uh, Pander came from an affluent business family in Punjab. He went to school in Bangalore at Bishop Cotton School, Shimla, and St. Stephen's College. All of these are very prestigious and very expensive schools. Okay. He had a like really wicked education. Mm-hmm. He inherited the successful family business, which he continued to grow, eventually becoming a millionaire with interests in transport, agriculture, property. Uh, he actually owned some sort of industrial factory and a trucking company and the trucking company is what gave him the majority of his fortune really oh okay yeah he's like business savvy for sure yeah yeah he reeks of generational wealth oh yes that (laughs) definitely helped daddy but (laughs) daddy my mervin's being mean to me (laughs) my mervin's my mervin's so yeah, he no, had... Daddy, I'm Irvin's. No, Daddy, it t- dickles. <laughs> <laughs> so good point, generational wealth. But he is kind of like a parrot. 
I was going to compare him to Paris Hilton, but... I was going to compare him to Trump. Okay, like, poor <laughs> Paris. I'm not trying to compare you to fucking Meninder Singh Pandir here. But, like, she came from money, but she used it as leverage to keep building. Yeah, and, knew knew what he was doing with it. Yeah, yeah, and he's kind of doing the same thing where he totally came from money and had leverage, but he used his education and resources to, to further it. He right. didn't just sort of rest on it yeah use it so he was he became a millionaire he had a fuck ton of money he lived a life like of a luxury he had flashy cars um if this doesn't like as in a testament or whatever to having money he literally would just hunt tigers and leopards for fun he's really becoming trump in this now which is disgusting yeah that's real gross beautiful tiger and leopard oh uh. why all right just because you can just like the trophy yeah like i get that like if people are out like what are you doing i'm hunting deer i'm like okay i'm gonna go hunt some fucking tiger you know they're scarce but that makes it fun yeah that's (laughs) but that's just like trophy hunting like to have like beautiful tiger fur or something and say you killed a tiger whereas deer is like game hunting like you can eat a deer yeah there's also nine million fucking deer (laughs) yeah so you have to like yeah it's literally the point where if you don't have hunting for deer they overpopulate and start starving i don't think i could hunt a deer because i I couldn't either they're so fucking cute i know they're dumb as shit but they're still cute. I know. I've legitimately been like, oh, well, like, you know, I like outdoor stuff. You know, I'm kind of into like a thing. And then I'm like, you know, hunting. And I'm like, as soon as I see the animal, I'm like, no fucking mm. way would I be able to. I could shoot a bird. I could shoot a bird as well. Little assholes. Okay. This isn't about us. <laughs> no, it's not. Anyway. <laughs> okay. So because he was so uh, successful and powerful, you know, he's this millionaire businessman. He had a bunch of friends in like high places and he was well known and connected to a number of leading Punjabi politicians in the Congress party. So this guy was connected. Mm-hmm. So although he had this nice, rich, beautiful home in Nitari village where he lived with his manservant, he owned a, quote, palatial bungalow in an elite part of Chandigarh's Poch Sector 27. The bungalow, a 2,000 square yard property, is valued at over 100 million rupees, end quote. Oh, no. Yeah? Yeah? When am I going to ask you? How, how much is that? How much is 100 million rupees in Canadian dollars? It's a trick question. It's three Canadian dollars. Oh, <laughs> it's a palatial bungalow, man. Okay, I'm going to go with 100, 100 million rupees. 100 million rupees. Okay, I'm going to go with 15 million dollars. That's a lot, but it is okay. a million. I, it's, this guy's a high roller. That's why I, I say know. it. Um, at least you got to million. to million. Which, you know what tripped me up? If you go to like, if you like go to India, like, your money goes a lot farther. So much farther. But it's your, it, it's like, so like if we brought that fucking bungalow over to Canada, maybe that would have been a little oh, more accurate. Actually, yeah, you're totally right. 2006, yeah. um, like palace style mansion in Chandigarh mm-hmm. is totally 15 million here. Yeah. But 100 million rupees if for a property value in 2006 is 1.6 million. Okay. Still a legit fucking home. 
Yeah, very, very fucking legit. In in India, imagine walking over to India with that amount of money. Like that's the thing. This guy was just he was he's rich in every way possible. Yeah, he's set. Um, this neighborhood, the the um Chandigarh neighborhood, is very posh. Like I said, it has leading industrialists, businessmen, politicians, anyone influential. They had a home in this area, Mm -hmm. and he was friends or at least acquaintances with most of them. Residents over the past two to three years said that Pander was rarely at his home and they they didn't see him that often. And when they did, it was just for like a quick day visit to check on his wife and visit with her. Her name was, is, I'm pretty sure she's still alive, Devinder Carr. And it was also to visit with his son, 23-year-old Karan, I think, Karan. Okay. Devinder cooperated this. So the residents being like, oh, you know, I only seen him a few times. He doesn't really come around anymore. Mm-hmm. Devinder was like, yeah, that's true. Like he's busy. He's got other properties, whatever. He doesn't come around often. Right. So think of that what you will. So that's a little bit about uh, Moninder, Moninder Singh Pandir. Okay. I think I said Pandir at once. Sorry. It's Pandir. Okay. So Satish Kohli wasn't actually named Satish Kohli. Okay. Kohli is his last name. Satish is the name that everyone knew him by in the Nitari village, but his real name is uh, Surinder. But for some reason, he was using this alias of Satish, and I cannot tell you why. Um, Not from India. I don't know if... You know how, like, Kar and Singh are names that are sort of... Like a masculine feminine type deal. Right, yeah. That are like associated with whatever your like birth name is. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Satish like means something else. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. I see what you mean. I tried to like look it up, but it's it, everything I had saw was just like, no, like for some reason he just went by Satish. But that's not his name. It's Surrender. Oh, okay. So, I tried there. <laughs> Surrender Coley, not Satish. Okay. He was born in 1970, and he grew up in an impoverished village in Almora in Uttarakhand, which is eight hours east of Noida. And it's kind of like in the Himalayan mountains. It's it's really out of the way. Resources are scarce. Jobs suck. Yeah. It's not an ideal place to live. Right. Uh, he was described by his family and the people in the village as very shy, quiet, innocent, but very respectful, especially to his elders. Mm-hmm. His family was very poor. Um, they had to settle for jobs no one else wanted to do. Him and his family made a living doing jobs like grave digging and working as butchers. Grave digging, obviously no one wants to do that. The butchers, uh, the working as butchers, you're like, well, that seems fine. Right. But a lot of people in India, especially people who practice Hinduism, they believe that animals are sacred, mm-hmm. uh, which is why they wouldn't want to be a butcher they don't believe in killing animals or or eating meat so they don't want these jobs so it's dirty work yes so when you believe that animals are sacred and you don't want to murder them no one wants to be a butcher so being from this impoverished family they took what they could get and when coley was 12 years old he got a job as a butcher's assistant and worked alongside his father so from a very young age he had a taste for meat uh, he became good at using knives and skinning and dismembering animals. 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. <laughs> At 13 years old, yep. he set off for New Delhi for a different and better work. His first job was washing utensils at a rundown hotel, but he actually worked his way up to cooking in the kitchen, mm -hmm. uh, realized he was a pretty good sh little chef. Uh, so he left hotels and became like a personal cook for people in their homes. Okay. Yeah. His first of these jobs was working at the house of a retired brigadier. I said that right? Yes. Brigadier. This was in sector 29 of Noida. In 1993. In 1998, he left this job to return to his village in Almora so that he could get married. But within a month of being married, he left his new wife, Shanti, behind and went back to Noida and worked at the house of a retired army major as a cook. Okay. So I looked into it and that's apparently very normal. So yeah. because they lived in this, you know, village that's far away from any big city, mm -hmm. um, didn't have the best jobs, it's normal for your, like, spouse, one of them to go to a big city and work and make money, and one of them to stay behind where you have your roots, so right. where you might have property, your family, and especially in India, family is very important. You you live with your family, you stay together. So it's normal for his spouse to have stayed behind and, and worked um, at home and been a family person. Right. So that's why he, he was- He went off to be a breadwinner. Pretty much. Know? It's it's bread really- Bread maker. Well, bread cutter, probably. <laughs> so he would go back home and he would visit with his family and his wife once or twice a year, like when he would get sort of like leave to go. Mm -hmm. uh, one of these visits back home, Shanti got pregnant, and in 2002, they had a baby boy. All right. Sadly. Well, baby Shanti. Oh, no. Sadly, this baby died when he was only 10 months old. Jesus Christ. But soon after, Shanti got pregnant again, and they gave birth to a beautiful little baby girl named Simran. All right. I love that name. Me too. Yeah, that's a really good name, actually. I love the name Simran. Actually, yep. there's a girl that in... Uh, uh, my elementary school that was named Simran. Really? Yeah. Oh, she's cool. pretty. She's pretty cool. She's a nice kid. Love your name, Simran. <laughs> Shout out to Simran. <laughs> In 2005, Coley was 35 uh, when his employer, the that retired army major, mm -hmm. had introduced him to a man named Moninder Singh Pandir. Mm -hmm. And soon after meeting. Coley went to work at Pandir's luxurious bungalow at D5 in Sector 31. It just... The name, the D5 Sector 31. It's just the way they do their uh, yeah, addresses there. It's, it's like, their, like, zoning, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Sector... Th exactly, zoning. Sector yeah. 31, D5 is the ad address. So, if I, I do just... Ref if I'm talking about the house, just for context here, I'll just say D5. Okay. Ever since moving to the city, Coley had allegedly been struggling to fit in. He felt out of place coming from, like, this poor family in the country. He missed his family and was sad that they weren't able to live with him and able to, like, enjoy this luxurious lifestyle that he was able to live f when he was working for Pandir. Mm -hmm. And, like, living with Pandir, he, he – Coley had, like, anything that he wanted. There was tons of alcohol 
There was always sex workers around. There was money, prestigious and rich people, good food, everything. I hope he's not partaking in the sex workers. I cannot confirm, but I mean, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I have no idea. So Pandira hosted parties all the time with a bunch of people in the, in like the neighborhood, in the village, reporting that cars would arrive at D5 anytime between 11 and two, 11 p.m. and 2 a.m. Like there was always something going down at this house. Mm -hmm. And Pandir actually collected really expensive booze and like boasted this really well-stocked bar mm -hmm. that would he would use for these parties to like, for his like elite guests. For schmoozing, yeah. Schmoozing the boozing. Yeah. And it was around this time that all of those children in the Nitari village, the bustling suburb in Noida, began going missing from the streets oh, right no. near D5. Okay. Now that we know who we're dealing with and the area, let's go back to what I mentioned in the intro to this episode, and we'll get into that a bit more. Do you like horror movies? Do you like hanging out with your buddy? Do you like cracking jokes and having a good time? Do you just like fun? Well, consider checking out Spoils of Horror. We are an hour-long podcast that comes out every single week. We're not doing reviews. We're just going to hang out, talk about the movies we love with each other, and hopefully the ones you love too. Covering everything from the popular, the lost, the forgotten, and the bizarre. If you're looking for a good podcast and a good time, you're going to want to check us out. We're on all major podcasting platforms, and you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. Check it out. We'll see you there. Nitari villagers were sick of the police dismissing their claims that the water tank and drainage canals were fucked and instead of going to the police again and risk being ignored because, you know, they had been, they sought the help of the former president of the Resident Welfare Association, a man named C.S. Mishra. Mishra and the residents started their own quote-unquote quote cleanup efforts mm -hmm. uh, in the canals and around D5 and that horrific discovery that was made that I alluded to in the beginning was a small decomposing hand inside a plastic bag. Oh, God. More and more bags were recovered from the canal that had remains in varying states of decomposition, and some were just straight up skeletonized. Oh, my God. All were small and obviously belonged to children. Right. This is the discovery that proved something nefarious was going on. The group contacted the police and reported they knew the location of the remains of the missing children. They had unknowingly recovered a total of eight bodies. Oh my God. Pretty quickly, other parents who had missing children in the area, they were there and saw what was happening or they heard about the remains and they rushed to the area to see if they could... The remains could belong to their own children. Mm -hmm. Some of them even came with photos of their missing child in hopes of helping to identify oh, the remains faster. My, not knowing. Mm -hmm. Oh. Yeah. 
the police finally arrived. They sealed off D5. They blocked everyone, including the press, from accessing the site. And they immediately began taking credit for the discovery and recovery of the remains. Mm-hmm. So the residents, especially the families of the missing children and the people who had actually found their body parts, they were furious that the police was taking credit for their work, which is the actions that ultimately launched this investigation to begin with. And they began accusing the police of negligence. Yeah, because they were. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's what I was going to say. Rightfully so. The police had repeatedly ignored these families when they were going to them. Like, yo, my kid is missing. Yeah. Like, so many parents were like, I cannot, like, my kid has disappeared. And then on top of it, going to bring the concerns about the disgusting water and the, their suspicions at D5 and the surrounding property and stuff, they were ignored every time. Yeah, well, I can see why. I imagine the cops were thinking that, you know, to admit that the community didn't have enough political influence to <laughs> spring any kind of investigation. Probably they thought that sounded bad to everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> they also just didn't want to do their job or, or maybe they were corrupt. Who knows? Yeah. So upon hearing of the alleged negligence, some police officers became very defensive um, and they were denying any wrongdoing and putting the blame on the families by asserting that they were the ones that were wrong. They provided false information about the ages of their missing family members. They said that they weren't minors, they weren't children, but instead they were adults who had just left home because they wanted to or they were fighting with their parents or something. And these families are like, what the fuck? No, my kid is like six. Yeah. And I'm telling you that they're missing. Yeah. The majority of the people reported missing from the area were children, like I said. Mm -hmm. But one family had tried to report their adult daughter missing. It was a 20-year-old woman named Payal. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure based on my research that Payal is an alias. And I think I found what her real name is. But if there was an alias, it was probably for a reason. So mm -hmm. I'm just going to say Payal. Yeah. What, what value is that to you as a listener right now? <laughs> The woman's father, so Payal's father, had tried filing an, F an FIR, yeah. uh, which is a first information report. Okay. It's basically just paperwork that's filed by the police when someone goes to them and has something that they want to report. Okay. So the police are supposed to file an F FIR, especially if someone's like, my daughter's missing. Mm -hmm. But the police would not take it from Payal's father. Right. Fam and then later, families of all of these missing children came forward and claimed the same thing, that no officer was taking an FIR for their concerns either. It's looking real sketchy now. This is looking yeah. beyond, like, yeah. didn't want to do my job to, like, had reasons not to do this work. You're on to something. Ooh. So upon hearing the denial from the police and putting the blame back on the families for lying... That's so greasy. It's so greasy. So greasy. How do you sleep at night doing that? Right. So these residents, obviously, that were alleging that the police that the police were negligent were also saying that they were corrupt and they were being paid to conceal information. And I don't blame them for this either because they were doing everything right. They were trying to report their children missing. They were trying to report their concerns at every turn. And they were met with resistance and immediate downplay no matter what. Mm -hmm. Like, what's worse than your child is missing? It's yeah, horrible. like pretty much nothing. That's the worst it gets. Thankfully, P 
Pendier and Coley were taken into custody by police on December 29th. So pretty quickly after all of this was going down. Mm-hmm. Coley actually immediately confessed to strangling Payal. He admitted to strangling her to death because police found her cell phone on him, which he had been using as his own. What? And they're like, he's like, oh, I have her cell phone because I strangled her to death. There's so many layers of ridiculous to I that. I know. Oh my god. And like the cops were like, uh, what? Oh, okay. That's fucked. Th- uh, thank- thanks. Thanks, I guess. And then he was like, oh, also, um, yeah, I, I did. I murdered those those eight children as well because they had found up to eight remains at that point yep and he was just like yeah i murdered them i lured them with sweets into the home Mm -hmm. and then i murdered them i raped them and i dismembered them what the fuck the cops were just like oh uh fuck yeah well yeah i hope the cops shat bricks yeah holy shit he just out of nowhere was like i'm just gonna give you everything right now immediately 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 after being arrested yep okay i mean good all things considered so far When there's that many people saying my kids are missing the same area. And then immediately the guy's like, I did it. They're like, oh, whoopsie doodle. Fuck, I should have probably taken those FIR reports. Is that like saying ATM machine? No, it's, it's oh, or, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. First information report. <laughs> FI <Should> reports. <laughs> ATM machine. <laughs> sorry. It's the same thing. Yeah. So at this point, the public was demanding an independent investigation be conducted into the case and the actions of the police. Mm-hmm. Good. The Ministry of Home Affairs, uh, Home Ministry for short, the Ministry of Home Affairs is basically just responsible for any sort of maintenance of domestic security and policy. Okay. So Home Ministry. They were asking for details about the magnitude of this crime and trying to ascertain the facts behind the discovery of the skeletal remains. Mm -hmm. Because they're like, woof. Yeah, and you know what? This is a big deal. Yeah, when you're talking about like, okay, the cops were like, like, obviously had some sort of reason not to investigate. Like... And then you get a confession immediately. Immediately, but then the the home ministry coming in going like... What the fuck is going on? Yeah, because they're basically going to say, like, you're going to make us look bad, so we're going to fucking come down with you with the wrath of God, because Jesus. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say, is that this is a huge deal, Yeah. because this situation obviously is a big deal in and of itself, but Mm -hmm. it's it's essentially being questioned at this point by, like, a federal level, whereas typically this sort of investigation would be probed and handled by the state. So Uttar Pradesh should be should be handling this and have it under control. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be India coming mm-hmm. in and saying, what the fuck is going on? And now that they have to, they're like, one, mm-hmm. you fuckers. And two, you're dragging us into this, you little assholes. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it had been a couple of days since the initial discovery of remains and body parts had been made, and the villagers were gathering outside of D5 to see how things were progressing. Mm -hmm. And remember, they had to do this to gather and be like little looky-loos because the police had blocked off the property and they weren't allowing media or family inside. Mm -hmm. So this was the only way that they could know what was going on. Right. They saw that the police weren't only sifting through the, the canals and the drainage ditches now. They were now using bulldozers and excavators because they were digging up body parts that had been buried along the canal. Oh, fuck. Be all of them, as in all of the body parts of one person, mm -hmm. aren't in the canal. Okay. They're also buried. Ugh. So they had to get this machinery to start excavating. Mm -hmm. The onlookers who were, like I said, had to just snoop and see what they could see. Mm -hmm. They also saw the police had entered D5 and they started seizing stuff from inside of it. So they came out with meat choppers. Oh. Do you know what a meat chopper is? Because I had to Google it. I, my mind just went immediately to, like, a butcher knife. Okay, so my mind had gone to, like, some sort of weird scissors. But, Ew. But, like, meat chopper is, like... Um, a cleaver, isn't it? No, it's, no. like... I, okay, so, like, a, a mallet, but instead of it being a hammer, the end is just, like, this star head or something. So you, like... Oh. A masher, kind of. Ew. Yeah, like you cook with it. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Okay. So they had seized meat choppers, guns, cartridges, and Pendier's maid, Maya Sarkar and her husband. Mm -hmm. So Maya was detained because she had worked in D5 for over a year, and the police suspected she was tasked by Pendier to lure women to the house okay the police refused to divulge any more details about this part of the investigation <laughs> but it was could. yeah but it was later determined that maya and her husband were clear of any involvement they had no fucking idea what was going on they were just as confused as everyone else okay yeah that's fucking sucks yeah they were like what are you here for i couldn't tell you yeah, like you're just living your life and then all of a sudden you're in the in newspaper articles exactly. about a fucking cannibal luring children. Right. <laughs> Jesus fuck. It's it's pandemonium. So and that actually um it's a good time to say that because especially in these early stages of the investigation and recovery of evidence and the remains, the media wasn't allowed near the site to see exactly what was going on and mm -hmm. no one was giving any sort of statement so any information they had in these early days was just from people in the area onlookers people who thought they saw or heard something so the reporting was just wild yeah just all well hearsay your honor right but yeah so the crowd had grown to hundreds by now of mm -hmm. the people that were gathering outside of D5. And they were getting more and more angry. And they were hyping each other up with speculation on what had been going on inside of D5. Yeah. Really, they didn't have a choice because no one knew anything for sure. 
Mm-hmm. So since there were so many bodies, the residents alleged there must be an organ trade going down. And that's why the children were going missing, because they were young and healthy, and their organs could be harvested. Uh, okay. I can see how they would get there. Well, yeah. So behind the scenes, the police were also suspecting an organ trade angle as the motive behind the murders. Oh, God. Because the bodies that were dug up were missing their torsos. Oh. So the investigating team that was looking into the possibilities of killings being motivated by some sort of illicit trade in human organs, they they actually raided the house of a doctor who lived in this same village. Mm-hmm. And when they were asked, why did you raid their house? That's random. Are they involved in these missing children? Mm-hmm. They revealed that the doctor, a man named Naveen Chaudhry, had been accused of orchestrating a kidney racket at his hospital in 1998. So apparently the court had absolved him ab- absolved him the same year so 98 Mm -hmm. but i mean doesn't look Uh, good and it lends credence to why people would think there was yes some sort of racket happening yeah that's fucking so horrifying (laughs) i know that that there was even an accusation are you comfortable right right now of what you've seen with the authorities that he was cleared no 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 especially a doctor who's probably got some political tie (sighs) yeah exactly so they, even though he had been absolved in 98, the team of like officials and forensic ep- experts and whatever, mm-hmm. they still searched his property mm-hmm. um, on two separate occasions just in case they missed anything or whatever. Yeah. But ultimately they couldn't find any evidence. There was no su- like evidence to support the claims of an organ trade going down, especially that he was involved in. Mm-hmm. So that just kind of fell to the wayside. But again, like... It's not, it's, you can't say, like, that's insane, because, like, it literally was a possibility a few years ago at this point. Yeah, no, I absolutely see it. Before, I was just like, yeah, but, like, you know how people can get when, like, they have nowhere else to turn? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they're going to take it in their own hands, and you know how twisted that could result? But, yeah, no, but, I can see where they're coming from now but yeah, when it's, like, point, a thing. at this point, it's 2006, and it's, like not even a decade ago we had a buddy over here who was apparently taking people's kidneys and selling them allegedly right allegedly Uh, that's what i said apparently allegedly is what i meant but so when you hear that you're like oh yeah with how at the rate of all of this Mm -hmm. sure sure yep but he was cleared and or like at least couldn't be investigated further because nothing was found okay yeah so that crowd that's being outside of D5, it, it it's just grown. It keeps growing. Mm-hmm. And not just in size, but in anger. Yep. People are fucking pissed. Mm-hmm. The situation is gradually changing from a group of curious onlookers trying to get information and, and see how things are progressing to an angry mob of pissed off people who are getting nowhere with police and investigators. Mm-hmm. And... They have started to essentially like protest and in their protesting, they have, they're trying to demand the removal of the Mulayam Singh government. So Mulayam Singh Yadav is an Indian politician. Mm -hmm. He founded 
the Samajwadi Party. Okay. It's a socialist party mainly based in Uttar Pradesh. And he was, just quick little background, He's he was once the party's president. Mm-hmm. He's the former defense minister of India. And he is the former chief minister of Uttar Pradesh. So mm-hmm. he had a lot of political sway in his like heyday. Okay. And so these people are protesting the removal of his government because they don't know what else to do. The police are corrupt. They're not listening. In their eyes, they think it must be some sort of like chain command thing where like the lowest of the low in 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 the eyes of like uh, law authority. Mm-hmm. If they're not doing anything, then maybe it's because who they report to or the chain of command doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, and it's also I'm sure like there's other little grievances that started happening. too. Yeah, there's you know when they say like the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. Well, the I I would say that, but preface it also saying like this is probably less of a straw and more of an <laughs> anvil. For real. But uh, yeah. So their demands weren't being met. I mean, the the government wasn't going to get removed. Mm-hmm. So they decided to escalate from being vocal and protesting. To get straight up physical. Yep. So they started trashing D5. They were smashing anything in sight. Uh, for some reason, in every example, like article I read, the example was flower pots. You just broke flower we were pots? Just smashing flower pots. Maybe that was the most reported thing. <laughs> yes. My flower pots. Yes. Fuck. But they were essentially dem- like just trying to just demolish this property. Well, they were like, fuck this place. We laugh, but the. The community went from 50% green coverage to like 49. It's pretty hefty. It's hefty. <laughs> All of the flower casualties. Oh, God. Uh, so they, yeah, the trashing D5. Then they eventually started fighting with the police. Mm-hmm. Both, of the, both of the police and the mob were pelting each other with rocks. Oh, <laughs> Christ, that says more about the cops than anything. Yeah, they just had this <laughs> fucking war rock of fight. the rocks. Yeah, just a big old rock fight. They were just whipping rocks at each other. All right. So the so the the rock throwing uh, competition. You're gonna lose to a mob at that point, right? Yeah, because they got numbers. <laughs> the whole principle of a mob. <laughs> This rock throwing competition resulted in police increasing security because they expected that the angry mob wasn't going to let up anytime soon and it wasn't going to go anywhere. Right. So they were just increasing security because they're like, I don't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. So that was an overview of the events and tensions that were playing out at the very early stages of this investigation. Mm-hmm. As as the police started to sort of get a handle on the mob of angry citizens and get into a routine of searching the property and stuff, the primary investigation could finally get underway. Okay. But we're going to save the primary investigation and the events that followed for part two. Okay. Do you have any thoughts so far? Any comments you want to make? Jesus Christ, you laid so much out initially. (laughs) So fucking much happened. I know. That's why it's <laughs> split into two parts. Like, like it just takes some time to digest, except you, Dyson. You don't get to digest. No, I don't. But you know how like you you'll go through like um like a like Forest City, for example, when we get like the 
details where we're like, Jesus Christ, the cops really dropped the ball. And like, that would really take up a lot of oxygen because it's, it's so absurd that they did it. Everything you just explained <laughs> with the cops right now was that on top of another, on top of on another, top, yeah. on top of another. A snowball it, effect. <laughs> well, every single part of this so far is just absurd. And it turned into a fucking rock fight. A rock fight. Yeah. Literally, they're trying to stone each other. It's so funny because, you know, the only time I've ever seen a rock fight was at my own fucking playground at school with fucking <laughs> elementary kids. That's how they're behaving. Yeah. Yeah. And they're just being little fucking sensitive dinguses who are like, eh, it's not my fault. You lied about your kid. And they're like, I literally did. That's so gross. I literally didn't. I tried to report my fucking six year old daughter missing. That's that's like, some no, guy you in the lied. They're an adult. That's some guy in the department going like, "Fuck, this looks bad. How do we cover our ass?" And he's just like, "Oh, well, we just lie and say that the these fucking people didn't report it properly." Exactly. It's like ew. It just and that doesn't work either because it's just gonna catch up to you and it just keeps. keeps it just shows worse like worse. that the cops just have zero value to not only the families but like probably now based on that fucking action, any of the victims. Yeah, they, they and just, I mean the family are victims too. But like, holy fuck! Mm-hmm. They just don't care. No, they're like, is this work that I have to do? Uh, oh my gonna, god, get away from you're me! Yeah, dock my pay, are you? <laughs> fuck. So thank you everyone for tuning into part one. Be sure to come back for part two so that you can hear about the investigation, which will include some brain mapping and some narco analysis. Oh, holy shit! We're going to talk about the victims a bit more. We'll get into the trial. So subscribe right now so that you know exactly when episode part, sorry, part two of episode 24 drops. Mm-hmm. Uh, make sure that you rate the show. You subscribe wherever you're listening. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter. Message us some case suggestions. That's always helpful. Yeah. Plus then we'll shut you out if we pick your case. Like, come on. Sure will. We'll catch you on the dark side. Bye. How was that? That was very good. Thank you. I wrote all that and I was really proud of it. Fantastic. Oh my god, thank you. <laughs> I'm like a world writer. <laughs> You're a whole writer, yeah. <laughs>